want to invite you to take, uh, take your Bibles or take a copy of God's Word and open up to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 35, and if you're in the Blue Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 75, uh, Exodus chapter 35. You know, there, there are certain diseases and certain disorders that are out there that can be extremely difficult, in particular with these uh, disorders, because the people who have them are unable to see themselves as they really are. Uh, eating disorders are some of those, like anorexia and bulimia. Often these affect the young girls and young women who, when they, they look in the mirror uh, and see themselves, they see one thing. They may say, well, I'm, I'm overweight or I'm not attractive or uh, something along those lines. But then someone else looking at them may be able to say, well, the reality is very different from what you're seeing. You know, a parent or a close friend might say about them with frustration, if only, if only she could see herself as she really is, it would completely change her outlook. It would completely change the way she lives her life and views her future. You know, people in the church are susceptible to the exact same kind of problem. We can fail to see ourselves as we truly are. And what happens then? So often we fail to live uh, as we really are, live out of who we really are. And so it's so often that in, in God's Word, with the aid of His Spirit, Uh, He helps us to see and to understand who we are so that we can can look uh, and live out of who we truly are. And that's what we're looking for as we turn to the last six chapters of Exodus this morning. And yes, it's true, we're going to go through six chapters. Uh, We'll try to go through those briefly. But all of these chapters are concerned with God's tabernacle. Tabernacle, uh, as you may know, if if you've been a a part of our uh, walking through this book, is a a word for tent. It's not permanent. Uh, The the children of Israel would take it up with them and and move with it and set it up when they'd arrive in a place. Uh, If you are of the faith, and if you know the Lord, if you belong to Him, then as we go through and look at these six chapters on the tabernacle, they should remind you of who you really are in Christ. And I'll just say, if, if you don't, if, if you don't belong to Him and you know that, then I hope you'll see here as we walk through this, your need for Christ. You know, in our journey so far, as we've gone all the way through the book of Exodus, uh, we've already looked at seven chapters there were chapters 35, I'm sorry, 25 through 31, seven chapters on the tabernacle. And now we're, we're looking at six chapters. You add that together, you got 13 chapters. That's a third of the book of Exodus. Why? Why all this attention paid to this building structure that's called the tabernacle? Well, the answer is because it's, it's important. Let me remind you about what the tabernacle is all about at its heart. 
It's about God dwelling together with His people. That's where He's headed as we go to the end of this book. This entire book, as we said before, Exodus, it's about salvation through and through. It's about our relationship with the Lord. And for this people, He used the tabernacle. And this is not the only place. They, they have it later. They'll have, uh, at one point, the temple, which is a permanent structure. But again, with the same purpose, to speak about God dwelling together with His people. And so for this people, when they'd hear about the tabernacle, it was almost like opening up a picture book so that they'd see on every single page a picture that told them something about their relationship, this salvation with the Lord, so that they would be able to live out of that and to show His glory to the world around them. And really think about what we need as God's church today. That's what we need, uh, is to be reminded of who we are and whose we are so that we can shine His glory. Now, we've got a lot to cover, six chapters. There's a lot of repetition here from what we had covered before previously. God had given uh, His instructions to Moses about how to build the tabernacle, lots of detail. A lot of that's repeated here, but the big difference is uh, here it's actually happening. The, the structure is uh, piece by piece being made and then uh, assembled together. And so what I'm going to do this morning to help us to move through this, I'm just going to jump from spot to spot and try to highlight and summarize the text this morning. So I'll just ask you to please stick with me, have a copy of God's Word open, and let's turn uh, to Exodus 35. I'm going to begin in verse 4. Chapter 35, verse 4, this is God's Word. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And then he goes on to enumerate all the materials that are needed for the building of this tabernacle, asking them to bring them. Let's skip down to verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for, for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, men and women, all who are of a willing heart. Skip down to verse 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. You can get a sense there of what's being emphasized. Free will offering. Then verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship. Look at verse 34. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahazamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer. And then chapter 36. Uh, let's look at verse 6. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more 
for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. When God made the request, the people provided out of their hearts abundantly until finally he said, no more, that's enough. Verse 8, and all the craftsmen among them, the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains. Now this is the first uh, instance of the tabernacle being made. Now each element's going to be made. Uh, you can see the tabernacle in verse 8. Then the elements of it, verse 14. He also made curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Verse 20. And he made the upright frames. This is the interior of it to hold it up. Uh, part of that, verse 31. He made bars of acacia wood. Five for the frames on one side and five for the other. Uh, verse 35, he made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns. This is the, the curtain inside the temple that was to divide the holy place from the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was to be, uh, where God would make his particular dwelling. You might call it the throne of God. Uh, in chapter 37, verse 1, you can see that. It says, Bezalel, this man who was gifted, made the Ark of Acacia wood. Not only that, verse 6, he made, to go on top of it, a mercy seat of pure gold. Now, you may remember that the mercy seat had on top of it two cherubim, two angels that had wings outstretched. This was where God made his throne. It was to go in the most holy place to manifest the presence of God throughout the tabernacle. Verse 10. He also made the table of acacia wood. This was the, the table with the bread of the presence uh, on it that showed God's provision for His people. Uh, verse 17, He also made the lampstand of pure gold. Uh, the lampstand that gave off light, indicating this is the place where light shines in the darkness. Verse 25, He made the altar of incense of acacia wood. And then chapter 38, verse 1, he made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. The altar of burnt offering, if you recall, went outside of the temple, uh, and it was where all the sacrifices were made for the people who were bringing their animal uh, sacrifices. And between that and the, the tent, the tabernacle itself, verse 8, he made the basin of bronze and the stand of bronze. This was where the priests would wash, uh, symbolizing washing away the dirt, the filth, the sin. Uh, and then verse 9, and he made the court. The court uh, enclosed the tabernacle uh, and separated it from the outside world. So that's, those are all the elements that were made for the tabernacle. Uh, the next step is just the listing of those materials. That was given beginning in verse 21. Uh, through the end of the chapter. And then all of chapter 39 is focused upon the garments for the priests, the very elaborate garments uh, for the priest. 39 verse 1, from the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold and blue and purple yarns. And then verse 8, he made the breastpiece in skilled work. Uh, and it gives all the details, the intricate work that was done on each element of 
the garments for the priests. And then finally, look down to verse 32. This is chapter 39, verse 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, and and then it goes through and enumerates every single item that was made as part of the tabernacle was brought before Moses and inspected. And you'll see at the very end of that chapter it says, then Moses blessed them. In chapter 40, the final chapter, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put in it uh, the ark. And then he talks about the table and the lampstand, the golden altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, the basin. You shall, you shall erect it and put it all together. This is the assembly. Uh, and look at verse 9. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. In other words, set apart for the Lord and for His use. Uh, And then verse 16, This Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. And I'll just mention that day is an important day. That was exactly one year to the day after the Lord had taken them away from their captives and out of Egypt. And then it enumerates all the items that were set up in the tabernacle. And at the end of that section, you'll look at verse 33. He erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. And then the crowning... uh, achievement of the Lord. Here's what happens, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, Then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we we thank you that you open up and you show us in, in so many different ways and, and throughout the, the history of your word, throughout redemptive history, you show us in so many ways that you have chosen a people to dwell together with you, that you might be their God and they might be your people. And Father, in, in, in our daily lives today, we struggle to see that and we struggle to understand the import of that. And so I pray this morning that you would help us to to see. Give us eyes that are open to see. Give us hearts that are ready to receive and to understand what it really means to us that 
you are present together with those who have turned to you, who have trusted in you, who are in your church. Uh, We pray that we would know that, and we pray, therefore, that we would live our lives out of that day in and day out. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, there's a house in our neighborhood that has mystified me to no end. I think I've spoken about it before. Um, it's a it's it's well constructed, wonderfully designed. If you walk through the house, you can see it's it's solid. Uh, it's clear that the owners made the decision to to upgrade with everything that they put into it. You know, all the materials seem to be the best. Uh, it's it's got uh, solid. There are three very spacious floors uh, with three decks on the outside, large decks that look out. Uh, I would guesstimate that the house, I think we looked it up at one time, it's probably something like 6,000 square feet, maybe more than that. Uh, But once the builders got the basic structure of the house finished, they quit. Uh, They they stopped building and they left it opened. Uh, It's unfinished. And so that's how we've walked in. I know it's probably not the best thing. It belongs to somebody, but we couldn't resist. And so we, we've, we've done it a, a, a couple of times, just walked through the house. Uh, and it's unfinished. There's, there's no plumbing that's been put in. The, the wiring for, uh, for, the, uh, for electricity is not, the, the interior walls have not been finished, uh, so no drywall. It's probably been since, I, I'm guessing, 2009 with the, the housing crash that happened uh, that it's been left open. That's 15 years. Um, and so it, it's open. You can go and walk in, and of course the animals can too, so you have to, have to watch out for snakes and things. Uh, I don't know the full story of that house. Uh, I would like to, but it seems now, after all this time, that there's almost no hope uh, that anything's going to be done. It's all grown up outside. If you were just to to drive up close to it, you'd think it was a dilapidated building until you got closer to it. Um, think back to when we began, for those who have been here for the whole thing, when we began the book of Exodus. Do you remember the condition that the people were in uh, when we began? It was a bit like this house. They were, they were broken down. They were languishing. There seemed like there was no way for them to move forward. If you remember, they were, they were slaves. And they were under the thumb of their uh, oppressors. And there certainly must have been no sense of joy, no sense of, of peace in their hearts. They were in misery. Then what happened to them? In a word, God. God. He changed everything. You know, if you use the illustration of the house, it's like somebody came and, and for a pretty decent price, they bought the house. And then they begin to clean. They begin to clean it out and clear it out. And they begin to finish the work and to take that house and to make it theirs and to make it and turn it into a really beautiful house. If you think about that, isn't that exactly what the Lord does with us? He first buys us, not at a cheap price, at a very high price, the price of the blood of His Son, so that He rescues us 
out of our slavery, slavery to sin, where we've been going our own way, where we're under the thumb of an oppressor. And he takes us from that point, that point where we were separated from God. You know, if you think back to Ephesians chapter 2, the passage I read earlier, strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world, it said. He rescues us out of that, and he comes to do one thing, and that is to dwell together with us by his Spirit. And what happens then? A transformation takes place. We go from what was spiritual death to life. But he's not done, is he? And he begins to renovate. You know, that's what we've seen with Israel as we've gone through the book of Exodus. God came to them. He came to them through his mediator, Moses. And he delivered them out of slavery, out of misery, and he brought them to himself. And he made his covenant with them. And he said, look to me and trust in me and I will make my home with you and I will dwell with you. And and remember what he said in chapter 19. He said, and you will be my treasured possession among all the peoples. Now compare where they were before to where they are here at the end of the book. And I think what you'll see is something that parallels with us today where we were, dead in our sins and trespasses. You know, stumbling along, following our own way. But now, what has God done? We have belonging. We have meaning. We have purpose. And most importantly, we have dwelling with us. And He will not leave us. The Lord God Himself. We have Christ in our hearts through the Holy Spirit living with us day by day, moment by moment. You know, for the Israel, Israelites, that was the tabernacle. That's what the tabernacle was. It was this representation that God was with them at all times and He was in the midst of their camp. But remember for them, although it was a, a wonderful reminder, a wonderful picture but it was an outward representation. It symbolized, and really what it was doing was pointing forward to what we are able to have today. That is something that's not just outward, not just something that's symbolized, but Christ dwelling within us. You know, the danger that we face is really that we won't see that, that we won't understand that, that we won't live out of that differently than we did before. You know, so what God wants you and I to see out of this passage is who you are and what you are, what He has made you into and is making you uh, into. That's what we see as we think about and look at the tabernacle. And what it's really speaking about ultimately is the church. It's all those individuals together who make up that structure. And what he points to here with the tabernacle is that it's a beautiful structure. It's a beautiful house in which God dwells together with His people. But today it's not a physical structure. It's not a building. But as Paul said at one point, Christ in you, and that you is plural, by the way, Christ in y'all, the hope of glory. 
You know, that's what this tabernacle represents. It represents something glorious. It represents something beautiful. The church indwelt by God so that we together shine the glory of God out to the world around us. Now, I realize that you may say, that's not what I see. That's not the church that I see as I look around. I'll just remind you of a couple of things. One, that we are a building in progress. And secondly, that what we need to see is that the Lord is in our midst. And no matter what we may look like, no matter how many rough spots we may see as we look around and as we look at our own hearts as well, that He is constantly at work, and he is making a beautiful structure. And so there are, there are two aspects of this that I'd like us to see out of the text this morning. And the first is that as God's church that we are being built. It's not just that we, we were built, that we are being built. This is a, it's a process that's ongoing. And secondly, as God's church, we are manifesting his glory amongst ourselves and to the world. So first of all, as God's church, we are being built. You know, God wants us to see that salvation is not just something that happened to us in the past. I mean, and this is important, there is a beginning point. There is a point at which we truly turn to Christ and we trust in Him. Uh, But the truth is, even though we've got a point in time when we must do that, we often don't even know that we've been saved until we see in our daily lives that transformation that has begun to grab hold, that has begun to take place. And then we come to realize that God is always there, that He is ever-present, and we begin to depend upon that more and more as we live our lives. Well, this, this happens, this all happens in the context of doing life in God's church. You know, we can think of ourselves individually, yes, but also collectively together as a glorious building that is being built. And we get insight into that through Israel's building of the tabernacle. Now, first, I'd like us to see, this is back in in chapter 35, uh, verse 4. I'd like us to see the attitude of the people toward what God was doing. Uh, Look at verse 4, chapter 35. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, bronze, uh, on and on. Notice, There is no coercion there. The request is only made to those who come with a generous heart. You know, as we read earlier, the response to that was overwhelming. Many, many came out with a generous heart and they gave. They finally had to to be asked to stop giving. This is a characteristic of God's church. Giving with 
a generous heart, free will giving. Now, it's true that God's people do need to be instructed about giving, that it is a responsibility of us to give. But, but keep in mind that God will really only accept those gifts that are given freely. It is a work of God to transform the heart so that it becomes a heart in which the hand desires to give freely to His work, to His church. It is a work of God that, that causes us to desire to do that even secretly so that no one else can, can see what's in our hand as we give. So I just say that, that the pastor that schemes or that twists arms or uses pressure tactics really of any kind in order to try to convince the people to give is not in, instructing in accordance with what God desires. It's, it's the heart that needs to want to give. That's what God's church is about. And He's the only one who can transform a heart so that it's in that place uh, to where the hand is open and willingly, not only willingly, but with joy, desiring to give in a way that the rest of the world would never do. Yet I can say that as we see that in our own hearts and our own hands, that it gives us a greater and greater confidence that this is not me. This is not me doing this. This has got to be a work of the Lord. This is God building His church. You know, another characteristic of, of God's church are the gifts that he, he gives to us. Look with me, chapter 35, a little further on, uh, that place we read, verse 30 and 31. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, this, this one man, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with a spirit of God, with skill and intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. You know, this man, and there's one other who's mentioned there, uh, they had understanding. But you know what they didn't have to do? They didn't have to fret. They didn't have to, to worry and say, am I skilled enough? What if, I, what if I mess up on this? Each of them could confidently say, God has given me exactly what I need in order to do that work which He has placed before me for the good of His church. I just need to be faithful in doing that work. Now, I'll be honest. This has been a great uh, encouragement to me. Uh, you know, often we don't see in ourselves the ability to do X, Y, or Z, and, and we can work up within ourselves a great stress over doing the things that we have before us. But to know that God provides what He calls us to. It's, it's a great encouragement. Uh, he has made you for service. And He'll give you what you need to serve in that, in that service. Uh, and we should take comfort in that in knowing that God gives in this way. And again, as we see ourselves serving in a number of different capacities, we may, and likely will at times, look at ourselves and say, 
this really isn't me. God's called me to this work, but this isn't me doing it. I know myself too well, and again, we're able to say and take comfort, this is God's work. This is God building His church. You know, these are the types of things that we need to see in ourselves because it gives us confidence in who He is. Now, there's one more way that I want to briefly point out that God is building His church. And there are many others that we can take from this. You know, we'll see it in the final step, chapter 40, if you can turn there. You know, the final step before the assembly of the tabernacle. Look at chapter 40, verse 9. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. One by one, item by item, uses this anointing oil and he consecrates each item. In other words, sets it apart for God's use uh, as holy. Um, This means that it was set apart uh, in order to be used, we would say today, by the church for His purposes. Now, this is just a picture of each one of us and what He is doing constantly inside of each of us. He didn't finish the work when He called us to Himself. And we know that well. If you're able to see your own heart, you're able to know your own big areas, big areas of, of, of sin. He wants each one of us and each of those areas dedicated to Him for His purposes. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, uh, says this, Do you not know, Paul says, that you are God's temple? That God's Spirit dwells in you. For God's temple, you can use the word tabernacle there, is holy. And you are that temple. You know, again, the you there is plural. He's not just talking to the individual, he's talking to the church. This is all about God building His church. And so we should see and know that we are There's a body. We are a living tabernacle. And the Lord is constantly at work. What's He doing? He's purifying us within. He's taking that area and that area and that area, hopefully one at a time. Sometimes it's painful to go through that process. But He's at work purifying ourselves. Think about that church spoke about earlier that in our imagination was bought at a price. The next step would be what? It'd be for the owners to go in and to begin to clean up all the mess that's there now, to begin to install plumbing in the walls, start putting in the wiring throughout the entire house. Then would come fixing up the walls, drywall, uh, ceilings, flooring done, painting finally, uh, on and on. Go up on the, on the outside and, and clean it up and, and do landscaping. What are they doing? They're turning it into something else, to that which is beautiful. You know, that's what God is doing uh, within us. Romans chapter 
12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This constant transformation that God is doing in order to make His church, His people, that which is beautiful. This is the Holy Spirit working upon a people, indwelt by the living God, so that He becomes your Lord and your Savior. You know, when, when you begin thinking about the church in this way, instead of just seeing her faults, and we're pretty good at that, aren't we? At seeing the faults. But when you begin thinking in this way, you should start seeing her as something beautiful, a beautiful house. Even though you can still see all the, the rough spots and the shortcomings. But you know that the Spirit is at work. So this person, this person, this person. This person, renovating, making us more and more into that which He desires for us to be. All the while, He's providing for her through the gifts that are given and through the gifts that are given. As God's church, we are being built. Also, as God's church, we are manifesting His glory. You know, we've been made in such a way that certain things that that we might see in the world around us um, bring us to a place of, of awe. We can be in awe. It can be a sunset. Uh, it can be looking at, out over a mountain scene. It can be uh, looking at an animal. Uh, we can be in awe. And some things take us to a, such a height, a, such a magnitude, that they produce within us a willingness and a desire to really to worship. Now, that can happen with the things of this world. We can be brought, or the people of this world, we can be brought to a place of worship, to bow down before, to cling to, to follow. But when we're able to see and to know the triune God, because He dwells within us in all of His glory, when we're really able to see Him, then we begin to worship Him. And him alone. You know, perhaps you're able to uh, remember some of the things that the, the Lord said all the way through the book of Exodus as, as we've gone through some of the, the, the biggest events that have taken place. Every time he worked salvation for his people, each time he left them with a reason for his saving work. It happened when he met with Moses, chapter 3, the burning bush. Uh, it happened when he freed people from the clutches of, of Pharaoh with uh, all the plagues. It happened when he brought the, the waters of the Red Sea over the enemies of the people as they, were ch- they had been chasing after uh, the Israelites. Uh, it happened when he provided food and water, food out of the heavens and water out of a rock in the desert. In all of those cases, the reason that he gave for saving them was for His own glory. You know, the point seems to be, as we go through this book, which is all about salvation, of the book of Exodus, that every saving act of God is not done simply for their good, for the Israelites, or for our good. But ultimately, it's done for, our, for, his, for his glory. 
You know, therefore, it shouldn't surprise us to find that the final step when it comes to God's tabernacle, everything's been uh, put together and, and, and made and arranged and consecrated, uh, inspected, uh, and then finally uh, it, it's there before them. The final step uh, is this, and this is chapter 40. Verse 38, I'm sorry, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is really the climax of the entire book. It comes that last few verses of Exodus. It's a statement of what's, all, what's behind all of the saving work of the Lord, what the tabernacle really represents. And it's all done, ultimately, for His glory. Now, what we can see here is that for Moses and the Israelites, uh, it was given in such a way that they could see and they could, they could experience it day after day. Yet, at this point, when the tabernacle was filled, notice what happened. This is verse 35. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's repeated. Again, His glory filled the tabernacle. But even Moses, this man of God who had met with God in different ways many times, even he was unable to be there in the presence of all this glory. The sense is that that glory was too bright, too great for him to be able to handle And yet, if we think about the Israelites uh, and how they received... Remember I said that for the Israelites, they knew that God was dwelling together with them. They knew it through the tabernacle. Yet it was something that was outward. It was outside of them. It wasn't on the inside. Now for us today, we are able to, to see and to know that same thing. The glory of God manifests because He dwells within us. And yet we are able to experience it. As we walk with the Lord to a greater and greater degree. The glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. You know, this gives us, I think, a final lesson uh, of this book. And that is that in, in the end, salvation is not about us. You know, often we, we think that it is. Uh, and at times, that's, that's not so bad. That we can take joy. We can know that God has saved us. But ultimately, salvation is about the Lord. It's about seeing and knowing and reflecting His glory. And you know what happens when our eyes are taken off of us and they're placed upon our great God, the one who... You know, Paul says, who alone has immortality and who dwells in unapproachable light. When our eyes are set upon Him and not upon ourselves and we see Him in His glory, we begin to see ourselves as we truly are. That was something that John Calvin speaks about in his Institutes right there at the very beginning. That it's only when we see God in a right way, that we begin to see ourselves as we truly 
are. And so really that's my encouragement for us all as we close this book of Exodus, that we seek to see and to know God in all of His glory, in, in, in all the weightiness of who He really is. That's what uh, the word glory means. Uh, it's, it's weighty because the Lord is weighty. He is that great. And we find that in the person of Jesus Christ. We too need a mediator, just like the people of Israel needed a mediator who was Moses. But the ultimate mediator is the one who we're able to have, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Again, for the Israelites, there was a separation there with God. For us, that wall has been broken down. We are able to be together with God. The Lord Jesus is our salvation. And He is here, and He is with us by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we are able to know God in all of His glory Uh, We can think of ourselves, therefore, as being indwelt by the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit bringing Him to us. And therefore, this work inside of us is ongoing. And it's true for each individual who who truly belongs to the Lord. And then think about His church. That you've got this collection of individuals who together manifest His glory. We are able to see it in one another. We are able to see it in ourselves. And the world more and more is able to see it in us as we go about the work of God, go about the service of God, go about that which He has called us to. He saved us by dying on the cross and thereby removing our sins. But this was done so that we might have a relationship with Him and so that His church might be built. And so that finally, His glory might be manifest in us. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we lift up uh, thanksgiving to You uh, for this, for Your Word. We thank You for the ways that You uh, work it in us, even, yes, in a world uh, in which there are many barriers to us seeing and, and knowing this truth. But I pray, Lord, that You would open our eyes to see who we truly are and whose we truly are Uh, more and more as we live our lives in the context of Your church. And I pray, therefore, that we collectively, Lord, more and more would be Your church to the world as You have intended it, that we would be that beautiful house that You have made and that You are making. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your church. In Christ's name, amen.